I also went to Mardi Gras. Oh, like in New Orleans? No, in St. So Louis. you went to a Mardi oh. Gras. That's like saying that you you went to Oktoberfest in Cincinnati. Cincinnati has the second largest Oktoberfest in the world. It's like saying you saw the Eiffel Tower in Las Vegas. That all, that Eiffel Tower sucks. Welcome to Three Idiots and a Lawyer. Matt Pfeiffer along with Brett Fortnum, Joe Shell, and Colin Lerner. Some really big news today in the Syracuse sports world and specifically in the Syracuse basketball world because we have learned via an interview with ESPN Radio Syracuse that Jim Beheim has revealed that there is a plan for his retirement. For after his retirement, he said that he expects to have input and in who the replacement is, and he's trying to leave the program in the best position that he can leave it in. He was pretty pretty clear that this is not the end this year. He said something to the effect of he feels like it would be quitting on these guys after having a bad season, and he doesn't want to do that after promising that he'd be there. But he says that the school has a plan in place, and it appears that he will have a say in who the replacement is. This is pretty big, guys, because I think as we talked before the show, before we started recording, Jim pretty much really gets aggressive when reporters ever asked about, you know, what what is your future? When What are your retirement plans? Things like that. So the fact that he willingly brought this up in an interview with a local radio station where a lot of Syracuse fans are going to be listening, that, that really speaks volumes. You know, it's almost like he finally allowed himself to accept that we are just bad and that this is like the end for him. I feel like the Duke and the North Carolina games have always been, to him, since the Big East fell, right, the Duke and North Carolina games are his two big games. And they were always against Coach K and uh, Roy Williams, right? So, the, you know, always his like measuring stick. Now he's going up against different people. Like, it's just not the same. And I feel like these two losses getting blown out and losing the way we did at like North Carolina finally it's almost like it kind of like broke him, right? Where he was just like, okay, right, like this is this is finally it. Um, I do like that he is not going to just like quit and just leave. I do think he needs to stay at least one more year after such a terrible year. But I do like and I'm like ecstatic and like over the moon that he has actually some what seemed to like accept this. Yeah. I don't really buy this as big news necessarily. I mean, you're right. It's notable that he brought it up himself on a local platform when normally he gets angry when it's brought up. So definitely he's got to be alluding to something. He's hinting at something. I'm sure it is acknowledgement that, that it's coming nearer than he's let on before when he wouldn't even acknowledge that it was coming, but it might quell some fears that I've had where he was just going to coach until he died on the sideline. <laughs> you know, it, it, I, I, and it, you know, it sounds jokey, but I genuinely believe there was a chance that was going to happen that he just would never know when to say when and not maybe not literally during a game, but I, I truly believe that he was going to pass away as the active head coach of the basketball program. And I think a lot of people probably thought that was going to happen. Yeah. Honestly, he might have planned on doing that up until recently, but I don't think this means much specifically. All he's saying is there's a blueprint in place, which 
it would have been asinine if there weren't a blueprint in place for what the next step was. It doesn't mean there's an heir apparent. It doesn't mean they know who it's going to be. It doesn't mean there's not going to be a search. It just means there's a plan. And it would have been crazy if there wasn't a plan. But, I mean, what is a plan, then, if it's not an heir apparent? To to me, that's the only thing it can mean. I mean, just starting a coaching search when you already know some of the names isn't really a plan. That's just what you do when you need a new coach. So I I think that, to me, it meant that there is an heir apparent. But I do agree with you, Joe, that it's not huge news. This isn't the first plan. Mike Hopkins was the heir apparent. There was a plan there. And then my theory here, again, is that Mike Hopkins saw that Buddy was becoming a legitimate recruit and he didn't want to be the guy to get in the way of that and he just left to avoid that situation now that buddy's about to graduate and the other thing that jim said in that interview is that buddy's not coming back next year swider initially wasn't playing he's having second thoughts uh jimmy initially said no and there's the whole issue of potentially the waiver but he's not really expected back so that's, that's notable, too. But now that Buddy's gone, I kind of think what happened is after he signed the contract extension after Hopkins left, the, the con- I don't know when the contract um, runs out. I tried to look it up and actually could not find it. And I'm guessing it runs out next year. I, I think that might be his last year. I wouldn't be surprised. I just don't think anyone currently on the staff is worthy of being the heir apparent without a search i'm not saying i would be angry if adrian autry were hired as the next head coach after a search i don't think anyone is at the level where it's like yes he's the guy that's who it's going to be we don't need to have a national search what's if you have a national search here? and it ends up being read that's fine like I mean, I won a national search because, I mean, and I've said this before because we've talked about this a couple of times, but, I mean, I hell, I just want the national search because I want I, – I'd love to just see whose resume comes yeah. in because I think you get some very impressive resumes. Yeah, I just, I just don't think they have a name where it's, yes, this is the guy. I, I think – and I don't, I don't have a lot of details I can throw out there, but – and that's exactly what I mean is that this could really be that vague of what he's saying is – that it's just, oh, yeah, we know what we're going to do. And it could be, oh, he's going to retire after this X season and we'll start a search here. And we already know that we'll interview Red and we'll interview Jerry and maybe we'll call Hop and see if he's interested in coming back. It could just be that simple. It doesn't mean it's like, oh, we're going to hire Adrian Autry and he's going to be the coach and we're going to keep it in the family. There, There uh, is I, a I, former assistant coach. I think he's at Iona now. That you know, Iowa's oh, not too even, far away. Don't even know. No, <laughs> the fact that Brett brought this up and not I is impressive because I brought this up, I think, like a year ago, and I even think Brett yelled at me for that. So, oh, it's, it, I, 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 I would boycott. I would not watch a game with him as the head coach. I wouldn't do it. I, I mean, I think it's pretty. I don't think Rick Patino is going anywhere. I mean, there wasn't there just a rumor about him potentially. Maryland. Going? Yeah, Maryland, and he's, and he's not doing. Well, he he did the non-denial denial thing. It was weird. It was. He I tweeted. Mean, he tweeted that it will not be him. He's he could end up somewhere. And I will say, yeah, in hell. a situation, <laughs> in a, in a situation, I mean, it's not. 
impossible to imagine Syracuse doing this. It's you know, dumb. But, you're, you're like you're picking the successor to someone who's been there since James Naismith basically put an orange crate on a he's, stick. He's a friend like, of Bayon. Yeah, you know what? Like, that's right. This is the exact bad PR that our school is capable of. Yeah, it yeah. No, listen, is. this is totally no on sense. brand and would still be one of the worst moves in I'd like recent history. I mean, I I absolutely can see it. And you I want someone who can build the program. Rick Pitino is too old for that shit. Well, and that would be my concern about a Patino hire more than anything. That's the concern. Oh, oh that, yeah. That's it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. That really I hit the really? head here. I mean, there are uh, – yeah, obviously there's all the, the stuff that happened in Louisville that is very wrong. And that is – yeah. And that's why he shouldn't be hired. But I'm just saying from a program standpoint as well, you're not building for the future as well doing that you need to go get a guy i i want to go get a guy who's in his late 30s 40s experienced no i'm just saying a guy that you know could lead the program for 15 to 20 years a guy who is that's not the dumbest thing you've ever said greg paulus joe joe that's not that's not the dumbest that's the greg paulus i didn't even hear what he said we don't want to get the head coach right now. We'll bring, oh, we'll bring oh. back the the school's all time leader in pass percentage. Pass we, we've percentage. lost guys. We've lost all guys. If 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 look, if Greg Paulus was doing more at Niagara, I would say it's a reasonable thing to consider. But we just haven't seen enough out of what he's doing there to say that he's the one that could get a shot. It's got to be. Here's my thing. And, and again, if you do a national search, and I don't, I'm not convinced that, especially with Jim Beheim helping out, that there's going to be a full national search because I feel like it's going to be Beheim friends and assorted acquaintances. But I, I just get this feeling that it, it, you know, I, I want the national search. Because I just think we could get some very impressive folks, not just from mid majors, but from some of the other power fives too. You know that you know that could go and, and come to Syracuse and do a very fine job. And I just I don't want us to block ourselves out of what could be really really good by say limiting our search. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, you're not wrong. Well, let's talk about the two games that happened this week. Isn't Colin glad he came back for us to talk about that? Uh, Syracuse lost to seventh-ranked Duke, 97-72 on Saturday. And then played a super close game against North Carolina on the road and had a shot to win, but it slipped away. and they We were winning with 15 seconds left in the ball. Yeah. And we end up losing in overtime, 88-79. Uh, quick, the one... quick straw poll. Who was surprised that we lost that game? Even even with 15 seconds and the ball, who was surprised we lost that game? Not at all. Not in no, any way, shape, or form. I Once actually I knew... expected that to happen. Same. Once you knew it was going to come down to an inbound, you knew that we were going to crumble. Yeah. yeah. It's almost as guaranteed as Syracuse lacrosse's opponent scoring within six seconds. It's it's Which we'll get to a little later in the show. I mean, the one bright spot you take out of the UNC loss is Cole Swider had just an incredible day. 36 points, which is good for him. Uh, and then from the Duke game, which was just an utter disaster, 
I don't really want to talk about it much. Nobody wants to talk about it much. But Benny Williams played 30 minutes and put up 14 points. It's the most we saw it's in Benny there. all year. It's and in now there he's out for the season. Yeah. There's a Lower body injury. In there. They're 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 going hockey terms. Lower body oh, this, injury. This goes back to didn't you rant before about this, Colin? About yes. This yeah, I hate body, this. Lower I body. absolutely <laughs> hate this. It drives me insane. Please tell me what the injury is. We are all at least somewhat intelligent people. We will have a better, you know, knowing of how long a guy will be out if he has a sprained elbow or if he has a torn rotator cuff, right? It drives me insane. It really, really, truly does. I mean, I understand, you know, whatever, you know, people's rights, blah, 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 blah. But you give up your rights when you become an athlete. I'm sorry. All right. There's, there's our hot take from Colin <laughs> for the episode. Uh, so, but guys, you look at these two games. I mean, just – there's not much you can say. Saturday was over before it started, basically. And then the North Carolina game, as you guys said, I mean, we let it slip away with 15 seconds to go, and we're pretty much non-existent in overtime. They right? boil down to the same tired talking points. We're not athletic enough against ACC teams to compete. We don't play enough defense. We give good teams open looks that they're going to hit. Uh, you know, you let Duke run out to a huge lead early, and even though they ended up making it closer at one point, like you were never going to climb back from that. Duke was just too athletic. We couldn't stop them right out of the gate. That was it. Against North Carolina, we got tired, and we, you know, we played bad defense most of the game, and then they clearly ran out of steam at the end, and you know, an athletic team can inbound the ball when you have to, and we are not either of those things. I mean, a competent team can inbound the ball when you have to, whether you're athletic or not. There, there, to me, there's no excuse for But on the flip side, you inability. can be bad at basketball. As long as you're athletic, you can still inbound the ball. That's true. But, like, you, like five guys in a gym should be able to get a ball in. Like, there's – in the fact this keeps happening, like, that's coaching. That's absolutely coaching because the spot that they keep going to the really? corner is exactly where you should not be going. I have to say, so like, listen, I have, I am the number one critic of the coaches and have been for a long time and I get it. But at this point, like, I, I, I feel like I have to give Jim some credit. Like he must have said these things over and over and over again. Like at some point he's not playing. Like he's just, con- I'm sure that he is saying these things over and over. And if they're just not doing them, at some point, listen, as as a teacher, as an educator of people, I can say something a hundred thousand times. And uh, there are times when I simply have to go, well, I don't know what to do. I, I, I cannot explain it anymore. I have led you to the answer in 18 different ways. If you're not going to do it, there's nothing that I can do. And I feel like at this point, we're 30, what, 25 games into the season? I, 30. Right. Like, at, at some point, I can imagine that the coaching staff is sitting there saying, guys, we've dried it up. We've gone over it. We've had film study. I've told you this 1,800 times. You know, you could only do so much at some point, and you just have to throw your hands up and say, well, it is what it is. I would agree with you about 98% of a basketball game with that. But an inbounds play is different. An inbounds play... It's X's and O's. You need to go here and you need to go there. And there is no reason that Buddy should be running to a corner. That is what the defense wants you to do. They want to put you in a corner and trap you. 
Also, why is Gerard the one inbounding the ball there? I feel like he's the worst person. He's the shortest player, and he's known to make, you know, bad decisions under uh, pressure. Hail Marys! <clears throat> I don't, it's, it, it, it's very frustrating, and the one thing I will say about the Duke game, I didn't watch it, I was listening to parts of it, but they started off like 14 for 16 and 7 for 7 from 3. That's embarrassing. Like that, that's that game defense. was over by the under 12 timeout in the first half. I mean, they were, Syracuse was 5 of 18 from beyond the arc against Duke. I mean, if you're going to hit numbers like that, you just, you got no shot with the team that relies this much on the three ball. Well, and the other yeah. the other thing, and I think it probably played into why we were so dead in overtime against North Carolina. All of our like, at some point, you got to take your players out. Like, there's no chance of winning that game. Throw Everybody's in hurt. Some scrubs. Everybody's hurt. Samir Torrance has a concussion. Benny is out. I mean, I I know that he just got hurt, but he's he's out. John Ball Ajak was also out for something else. Barama is playing on one half of one knee. I, I, I and he's doing pretty well. And he's doing pretty started. well, right? Yeah, I, I, I was mad at you guys for not Frank giving him a, a star last week. Wasn't well, Frank also hurt? One this week. You want to just give him a star right now, Brett? Yes. All right. All right, one star. You're not going to explain Brahma. it at all? No, it's fine. I shouldn't have one. to. Right. Brahma CDB, he had 11 points and 8 points in two games this week. And he probably and he made the most athletic run. play I've ever seen him make against right, North though? Carolina. Yeah. He hurt himself on it, but yeah. <laughs> it was one, <laughs> yeah, of, the, well, one of the smoothest plays you ever seen yeah. him make. But wasn't wasn't Frank also hurt? He like didn't uh, play in like two like the I don't know, I think it was two games ago or whatever it was. Anyway, th- we have a significant amount of people who are hurt. So I, you know, understand there's not too many bodies on the bench to throw in. It's Patty Casey time. Yeah. Which is what happens when you're playing the same people over and over and over and over and over again. I realize Benny is the exception that Benny, you know, Benny hasn't played that much, but you know that's what happens. So Kevin took a guess at a game. I think it was a Duke game. He said we were going to win ninety eight ninety six, and it, it reminded me of a point I've been meaning to bring up for weeks and just haven't got around to. I think that this team's offense is capped because they just don't have enough bodies. There is no way I can see that this team could ever score 90 points unless Cole Swider scores 36 of them. Yeah. So it's, I mean, the coach. And even then they couldn't. Right. But you, when you think about it, you're going to get 20 from Buddy. You're going to get, let's say, you have three other starters. You're that are automatically you're going to get 10 that those are the averages so that's only 50 points so in order to get 80 points you need 30 more points from somewhere that that's either the four guys who can score each scoring 20 which isn't going to happen or somebody going off maybe you get 10 points from the center position just frank plus sadibe but even then, you're still asking so much because you don't have people. You need a bench. You there's need not a- enough out there. There's there's not enough options. And the fact is, the good players that we do have are shooters who are streaky. And they're never on at the same time. So it's really asking a lot to try to get the offensive output that would be required to win games with the defense that we have. 
Um, but I, I did just want to say, I, I, I know Cole Swider is not going to go down in Syracuse history as a player that we really remember. He didn't play on a good team, wasn't with us for more than a year, and he wasn't particularly great. But he's a good kid, and what I do appreciate is that he plays very hard, and I do get the sense that he gives us everything that he has every time he plays. And I feel bad that we couldn't win that game for him because that would have been like his moment of like, you know what, I'm I'm glad I transferred to Syracuse. I, I'll never forget that game. And now that game is just another loss in a forgettable season. And I, I don't know. I know we don't really owe him anything, but I really wish we could have won that game for him because to see him well, have a he- career day – I mean, he had one of the best days of anybody on the team all season. And he just threw the team on his back. And, you know, the only reason we were in that game to the end of regulation was because of him. And he almost broke the record. He almost broke the record for most points scored by an opposing player. A point away. And he did it efficiently. And he didn't take – he took like one dumb heat check shot. Outside of that, he just played good basketball. And I feel bad for the And you're allowed to take that dumb heat check shot. Yeah, and he he earned it at that point. So I I, yeah. I just feel bad for the kid. Yeah, and he had twenty two more points before the next above the next closest Syracuse player, who was Buddy. I mean, you could see it. Shooting, you could just see the raw emotion when that game clearly was slipping away. That he was just like he had given everything, and that was it. And it was just a well, bummer. And then when he had the the foul out and there, which you felt for him. Cause it, you could just almost say like I don't think he was quite aware he had four fouls. You forgot me. He You're always aware that you have four fouls, but it, like the player instinct overcomes that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, and I'll say is one of those moments. It was kind of neat to see because you don't always get real warm moments from Jim, but you could see Jim say good job when he walked over to the sideline, and that was nice to see because he mean he played a great game. It's the old. It's the uh, uh, John Gillen game. Just reincarnated, right? Which, yeah. right, Joe, to your point, right? Like, I mean, listen, I don't know John Gillen, right? But there's a good chance that he came back to play for Bayheim's Army because he had some good memories, including that one game. And Bayheim's Army won the TPT, right? So these things kind of snowball. So, you know, yeah. So next year, Cole Swider, TBT champ. No, not because he lost. So he's not going to have any good memories. So he's not going to come back and play. Also, Cole, Cole Swider is going to make some money playing basketball in Europe for a little yeah, while. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, he the kid can shoot. He's going to play somewhere overseas. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Uh, so let's do stars and demerits officially here for this past week. And uh, Brett, we'll let you officially put it out there. Your star for this week. For Barama Sidibe, we did not expect to get anything out of him this season. And he has been a contributor. And, like... You could easily just say, all right, he's going to be the I'm just happy to be here guy. And really, I, that would be an accomplishment based on everything that he's gone through. But he's done so much more than that in just being able to put up some points and play well. And he provides a spark off the bench, which is difficult to do with half a knee, but there he is. So I'm, I, I probably would have given him a star just for being able to put in any real minutes, but... No, we're getting some solid contributions too, including the background noise from my dog. Yeah. Uh-huh. Go Elwood. I cannot in all good conscience give a star after two, you know, horrific losses. And I'm going to give a demerit to Buddy Beheim, right? He is somebody who doesn't get any, I think, any kind of heat. I think he kind of you know, slides under the radar because he had 
Now, because he is a good player, I will give him that. However, he came into the season as what? A preseason second-team All-American? Right? All-ACC, right? He came in as the guy. The the guy who, when things are down, he's the guy. And he has not been the guy at all, right? Tyus Battle came in as the guy and was the guy. Buddy Beheim came in as the guy and is the, oh, well, I'm being double-teamed, so I don't know, guys. You know, I have some good games and some bad games. So, no. He gets to the demerit. I feel like he escapes all of the criticism. And if you're going to be the guy, then be the guy. If you're not going to be the guy, then don't be the guy. Uh, side note, Buddy Beheim needs to score 30 points in the next game to finish with the ACC scoring title. He is averaging, I think, 19 points a game. So he is still the guy. He's just He doesn't have the killer nope. instinct. Joe! Yeah, Buddy does, you know, disappear in some games, and I'm honestly surprised his scoring average is that high. I would, I would more complain about the coaching staff not being more creative and finding ways to get your best offensive player open looks. They kind of just give him the same screens over and over that aren't set very well, and I don't entirely blame Buddy for the, the games where he can't get open because he is always double and triple teamed, and the coaching staff doesn't try to get him open. I'm gonna I'm gonna save the the gimme for Matt. I'm gonna I'm gonna handcuff Matt and make him give the gimme uh, star. I'm gonna give a demerit to Joe Girard, where kind of the same thing. I more blame the coaching staff in the long run, but I'm gonna give him the demerit because he's the point guard and he can't bring the ball up the court under any sort of pressure to the point where Jimmy Bayheim is a safer bet to safely bring the ball up the court than Joe Girard, and. Beyond that, what bothers me more than that, I just thought that was ridiculous to see. But the fact that how many times a game do we just see him dribble the ball off his leg out of bounds, not any under pressure, just oops, off my foot. Like, I do that and I'm bad. I'm like, I'm going to the gym as a guy at the YMCA bad. He's a Division One college basketball player and he does the same thing I do. I I, I just – and. Everyone knows I'm I'm probably one of the larger Joe Girard defenders that is out there, but I'm getting tired of just watching him dribble the ball off his own goddamn foot. Careful about the YMCA because that's how we cost Jim Beheim losses. Why? Everybody needs a part-time job, Brett. So I was given the gimme a star here, and that is for Cole Swider. 36 points against North Carolina. Just an absolutely outstanding game. Um, as Colin said, he was what, one point short of the all-time record for an opponent against the Tar Heels, which is saying something. Uh, he had the game of his career, and he might have had the game of the year for any Syracuse player. Just an incredible job. And and like Joe said, it's just a real shame that the team couldn't finish it off for him. I mean, he, he deserved for that game to end in a win. Um, just a great job, and, and congrats to him on a good game. Uh, you know, I know it didn't work out the way he wanted, but he definitely gets a star for that. Let's take a look ahead. One more regular season game. One more regular season game to decide whether Jim Beheim will have a winning season or a losing season and whether this is the first regular losing season in 47 years at the helm of Syracuse. So a little bit of pressure here. It's in the Dome. Saturday, 1 p.m., ESPNU against the Miami Hurricanes. Uh, remember, Miami beat Syracuse by one, 88-87, back in Coral Gables on January 5th. The Hurricanes are 21-9, 13-6 in the ACC. 
pretty even with Syracuse in terms of points a game. They're 74 points. We're 76. They give up a little bit less than we do. Little higher field goal percentage. And they actually average fewer rebounds in Syracuse, which is saying something. Uh, Cameron McGusty, I'm sure everybody remembers him. Isaiah Wong, uh, Wang, Charlie Moore, those are the top three scorers there. Uh, McGusty's averaging 17.5 points a game. So you're going to have to lock down on him, but but Wong is averaging 15.5. So uh, this is going to be a, a tough game for Syracuse. And uh, they're, they're going to have to lock down, and they're going to have to dig deep here in a really important game to end the season. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm hoping that – I mean, listen, that as much as I think a loss would validate me being upset about this team in the summer, um, I would really much rather win this game. I think Jim Beheim has earned it. I really think that – a lot of our players know, even though that nobody, if anybody asks them going into the game, everyone will say, we're not thinking about the winning, losing season, but deep down they all are. And I do think our players know this. Um, and I do think that we'll wind up pulling this game out for that reason. But I do think it is a, a huge game in an otherwise completely lost, meaningless season that should be shot into the sun. I, just, I, I don't, I don't see it for me. This, this whole season has kind of been like, slowly letting the air out of a balloon where you pinch it and it just kind of goes <laughs> like just the whole season. And yeah. and now at this point, we're just left holding the flaccid empty balloon. There's no air left. There's nothing. Um, I just don't think it's there. I, I think the strain of having this school's first poor season and the pressure of not giving your coach his first uh, losing season in his career. Like it's just, I don't like the way it's adding up. There's no depth. Everyone's injured. The guys who aren't injured are probably hurt. Like to some degree, everyone's a little banged up. Everyone's tired. Everyone's exhausted. And the emotional toll that a season like this must take. I'm just picturing holding the empty balloon. All the air has been let out and that's all that's left. So the word I, flaccid is never used in a good sentence. No. And that's, I think that's what we're left with. Just a flaccid balloon, no air left. And I don't, I don't, Miami's a good team. And I, I don't think they're going to be able to get up for this game. Right. Everything you guys have said is right. Absolutely everything. And I just, I don't think I would be able to go to sleep at night if the Syracuse basketball program ended with a losing record. It just, it doesn't make sense to me. So even though everything you guys are saying is right, they almost beat North Carolina. Like they, they are just good enough to be competitive and they've shown that despite the sometimes very significant talent gap, other than Duke, they can compete with anybody. They, they have won some games they really haven't supposed to. And even the ones that they're losing, they're not getting blown out unless it's Duke. So I kind of think that they're going to win just because. And because I, I am going to actually give my pick here because in fairness to Matt, who is currently one point behind, um, I've been able to pick after him. So I think he deserves the advantage here. So I'm gonna pick my. I'm gonna pick Syracuse to win 
75-73. Okay. Um, so I'm picking Syracuse, too, um, because I think uh, they have played uh, – Brett's absolutely right. They've played extraordinarily well uh, – or not extraordinarily well, but extraordinarily close games, even though they've lost a lot of these. And, I mean, they could have beaten North Carolina. And I just think – Syracuse is one of those teams that randomly find something, and I feel like they're going to find something here. Um, and I think partially with all that on the line. So um, I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to come down to the very end, but I'm going to say Syracuse wins this, 77-74. This team is just good enough to break your heart, as always. Um, but for all the reasons I just gave, I do think that they will win this game because, of course, they will, because that is, you know, that is who they are. Um, and since I'm checking and I'm nowhere close, um, to the pick standings, I have no skin in that game. So I will say that, um, we're going to win this game. Uh, why not? 81 to 76. Sounds like a good score to me. You know what? 82 to 76. I'm sorry. 82 to 76. 77, 71 Miami. Let's flip over to lacrosse. Things oh, not looking as stellar <sighs> there. Worse, the worse, week. worse, honestly worse. So Syracuse lacrosse had two games in just a handful of days and a pair of losses, losing their first conference game 20-11 at second-ranked Virginia on Saturday. Uh, you know, Griffin Cook had three goals. So Mikey Berkman and Owen Seabold both have good games again. But uh, a rough day for the Orange in which they were losing 8-1 to one at the end of the first quarter and uh, then gave up another seven goals in the third quarter. Uh, and then you had, on Wednesday, Syracuse losing to 13th-ranked Army, 17-13. to 13. And West Point, uh, again, outscored Syracuse in the first quarter. Syracuse had a big comeback and then gets outscored 10-3 in the second half. Um, including getting shut out in the final quarter. Owen Seabold, Brendan Curry each had four goals. But, you know, again, uh, another rough day for Syracuse. Slow starts, it just seems. And that could really kill this team, considering their schedule is just stacked. No, it's not slow starts. It's um, – I don't want to – Go full buses on fire too early here. We're, it's only we're only three games into the season, but this was an absolutely inexcusable loss. Uh, inexcusable. I don't care about the uh, Virginia loss. Virginia's a great team, right? Fine. Played whatever. four Fine. games. Four games. E- e- even worse. We're four games into the season. Even worse. Um, uh, Virginia's great. You know, we lost to a great team. Whatever. That's fine. This game against Army was a winnable game that we threw away by making. I mean. Last year, when we were talking about the Syracuse lacrosse team, I went on a rant about how you have to stop the ball. The first thing that you are taught in lacrosse is to stop the ball. This rant is going to be about catching the ball, which is even worse than stopping the ball. It's unbelievable. If you cannot catch the ball, find somebody who can. You are a Division I pro lacrosse player. If you cannot catch the ball, get off the field. It is inexcusable, absolutely zero inexcusable to turn the ball over as often as we did. And it's not, it's just, I I don't know what it is. 
I, I don't know if it's mental mistakes. I don't know if they started to get rattled when they saw that the game was going the other way. I don't know what it is, but it is just absolutely, I, I don't have words for it. I really don't. It is ab- just inexcusable is the only thing I could say. I turned the game on with about eight minutes left, and the first two minutes that I watched, there were three of those turnovers, and that was really the turning point. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. It is absolutely embarrassing. It, it was two just not catching the ball and then not getting the ball across midfield fast enough, which is just a, a mental mistake, and it it hurt. Yeah. So the the big note that I have highlighted from watching the last two games was simple passes bouncing off sticks. No pressure, just not catching it. So I think we're all on the same page. Colin pretty much nailed it on the head. There's no rational explanation. It's just like, it's not even like a turnover. It's not like the defense does anything. It's not even like we're trying to be aggressive. It's just in the early seconds of the of the shot clock, just passing it around the outside, just oops, just bouncing off the side. You can see guys going to catch passes, and the ball hits the side of their of the head of their stick, not the pocket. It hits the side. And I've I've never played the cross. I have hardly thrown a, a you know a ball back and forth with a stick. I've done that a few times, but. Even I was able to, you know, look the ball into the the pocket of the head and and throw it back. And I feel like if you've dedicated most of your life to playing this sport, you should be able to catch the ball and throw it to someone else. That's been our biggest issue. I did play the cross. And you know why I played the cross? Because I could throw and catch the ball. If I couldn't throw and catch the ball, I would not have played the cross. So obviously that's our biggest issue. And it is the most inexcusable issue. And it's something we saw last year. So... I'm not going to jump on the new coaching staff yet over that, but that is something that needs to be fixed. But I, I do have some other things that are, you know, a little more uh, specific with, with what's been going on. Um, the big thing that jumps out to me is Jacob Falk more or less has been playing wonderfully. He's winning the initial clamps at the X. He is winning the draw. The problem is the wing play around him is very weak, where if he doesn't come up cleanly with the ball on his own, no one's going to help him out. We're not going to get possession. The number of face-offs I have seen us win that don't turn into a possession are astronomical. You have a kid working his butt off at the X, and if he doesn't come up clean with it, which isn't that common, you're not going to just scoop up a face-off with immediate possession all the time. That's not what's going to happen. You need your long sticks playing the wing to come in and do the dirty work and scoop up those ground balls. And we are very bad at that. By the way, very Syracuse won those faceoffs against Army, 22 to 11. Yeah. And, but the ones oh, that they weren't. Yeah. Some of those went in the book as one exactly. faceoffs that yeah. did not turn into possessions. Yep. Also. And that's just wasted. Uh, Matt, do you have a breakdown of the faceoff numbers by half? I do not have them by half. I just have if them. Army didn't yeah. if Army didn't win the faceoffs in the second half, it was damn close. I, I mean, I no, they, they they absolutely did. Jacob Fop just forgot. I mean, and uh, Joe, to your point, I mean, it's not in really, it's not that much on him, but he gets the blame because he's the guy at the X, right? But he just forgot how to win faceoffs, or I guess that unit forgot how to win faceoffs. Mm-hmm. They were, I, I, I think, think they won like eighty percent in the first half, and then must have won less than 30 in the second half. 
I think Brett also pointed this out when we were texting about the game, but just our inability to clear. You know, our defense hasn't been that great the last few games. You get a big stop or you cause a turnover, and you can't get it to the offensive side of the field. And the way they've been turning it over, it's the defense has stopped playing defense because you have gained possession. You have caused a turnover. Then all of a sudden, an attackman has the ball back, and he's just staring at the goalie. He's like, bloop, there you go. Thank you. It's happened multiple times every game. And these are just things that are so demoralizing that that's why the team is just like kind of losing control of these games late. These are just awful things that are basics that like just you, you, you need to stop the ball from going in the net. And when you do, you need to get it to your offense. And we uh, have been unable to do that. And penalties, we haven't talked about penalties yet. I mean, there's not much else to say. We were three men down at one penalties. point. We were three men down at one point. And it's almost like it's, it's I've never inc- felt this way before. And this might be a little bit of bias because we were playing Army, but it's like, are we the bad guys? I feel like our team is a little dirty sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Little, like, are we the bad guys? I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. I mean, academies you know, tend to not get a lot of penalties uh, a lot of times. They tend it, to the other thing that has really stuck out to me in, in the games that I've watched are just the timing of the demoralizing moments. Like, at one point, we were a man up. And it was a stupid turnover. And, like, we, were, I think we were down two goals when we were man up. And we, de- like, there was four minutes left, and we desperately needed a goal. And it was just, bloop, oh, another bad pass. And then, Is that the one that the goalie just chucked out of bounds? No, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> but also that. But, yeah, but, also, but also that, that one. <laughs> um, and, and the other thing is, and this happened repeatedly in the Maryland game. After Army or Maryland's scores a goal the the team would just let down so much that they would just score again six seconds between army goals six seconds that's ridiculous and like that's what killed them in the maryland game it's the same thing like yeah. you you have to have more uh intestinal fortitude than that and colin i don't know about you but i came away from the games thus far saying that Virginia is much better than Maryland and is the best team in the country. Without a shadow of a doubt. If they are not the champions at the end of the year. Maryland was not the best. And I know I referred to them as the best team and was optimistic because we played them tight. But Maryland is not the best team in the country. Virginia is so much better than that. And Maryland is is a great team. But Virginia is just one of the most complete lacrosse teams I have ever seen. The the one bit of optimism I will I will give here is that I think more than most any other sport, the lacrosse regular season does not matter. It doesn't. If it is got to make the tournament though, right? You got to make the tournament. And when every team you're playing week in and week out is at this point on paper, better than you, you might not make the tournament. Right. But compare this team to last year's team. Is this team better than last year's team? I don't so know far, yet. I have seen much of the same. I, in my heart, I believe they are a better team, but you are what your record uh, says, and they're one and three. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I, I guess I I th- I think this team is better than last year's team, and last year's team, as bad as they were, they made the tournament. That's so, true. That is true. <laughs> yeah. So, that's a fair point. That is, that is, 
I, I mean, if, if if once Owen Hiltz is healthy, he may not play this year, though. I'm hearing now. Oh well, I, I was yeah. kind of ho- holding that hope that, that he'd come back. Yeah, me too. And if if they could get in with him, I don't care what their seat is. All it takes is a run, and I think yeah. that matters more than anything else in lacrosse. So because we are talking about the rest of the season, just to put this into context, it's bad. the entire rest of the season, Syracuse plays three teams that are not ranked. Three. Yeah. yeah. Every other team on the schedule is ranked. Now, the first unranked one is this Sunday with Hobart. Then they play March 19th at Stony Brook. And then April 7th at Albany. By the way, Albany, a team that has beaten Syracuse before. Um, it's, it's worth pointing out, we have uh... – Potentially had a goalie change as well. This is also true. I don't think Bobby Gavin was playing particularly poorly, but something definitely clicked a little better on the defensive side when Harrison Thompson came into the game. And he made some great saves. He did, but it was something more systemic on the defense that improved. Maybe it's just because Gavin's so new to the team. Right, yeah. He's and I'm not transfer. totally clear on what the goalie's role in that is, but communication seemed to improve with Thompson, who's been in the program for two years now. Well, the goalie is the most important player on defense. He is, if he's good, which theoretically these guys are good, then they are not stop talking. They are calling out every single slide for their defenseman. Um, so, Joe, you might be hitting it directly on the head and that Gavin's a transfer. He may not have all the calls down. And quite frankly, as a defenseman, you're getting barked at by some kid behind you. And if it's some random dude who just showed up, you're not as likely to maybe listen to him as you are, as it is your buddy who you've played with for three years or however long he's been there. So next game, Sunday in the Dome. It's the battle for the Kraus Simmons Trophy as Syracuse hosts the Hobart Statesman, 4 p.m. So Hobart comes in with a 2-1 record. They beat Canisius 22-13. Then beat Lehigh, who's ranked 16th in the country, 14-13 before a March 1st loss at Cornell, who was ranked 9th at the time, 15-12. So this is, you know, Hobart, Syracuse obviously wins far more often than loses against, but this isn't going to be an easy game. Uh, You got Ryan Archer, 8 goals and 8 assists so far this season. Tommy Mott, 7 goals and 5 assists. John Herlihy, 8 goals and 3 assists. Uh, you know, this is a this is going to be a team that, that's going to challenge them. You know, they they win fifty four percent of their faceoffs. They've caused twenty nine turnovers. Uh, they uh, have a hundred ground balls to eighty seven for their opponents. Um, shots on goal fifty nine point four percent. I mean, this is this is a team that you know Syracuse is going to have to step up. I I expect them to win this, but uh, you know, one never knows. Lacrosse is not popular enough to have schools that don't care about it have teams. So if you have a team, you generally care about it. You generally put at least some kind of effort into it. And most lacrosse teams are generally good because most lacrosse teams, to our previous point, can do the little things. And a lot of lacrosse is about face-offs and about working hard, about playing about being more physical, about being able to win ground balls, being able to get past guys on dodges. A lot of it is just simply about being physically stronger and more tenacious. So therefore, you're going to have most games that you could have either team come out because it's really kind of just a battle of wills. Um, With that being said, Syracuse should win this game. 
we are the better team. We are the better athlete. We are more physical. We should do the little minimal things like clearing better. Um, and if we lose this game, similar to the loss against um, whoever the uh, Division Three team was for a basketball team, it is a it's one more. Yeah, it is. No, no, no. Um, who we lose to very early in the year? Colgate. Oh, Colgate. Yeah, yeah, Colgate. yeah. They're D one. They're D one. They've okay, made well, the I'm, tournament a couple times recently. All right. Well, I consider them D3. Um, so it's it would be very similar to that kind of loss, where we'd be 1-4 against a team that we really should beat. Um, so I'm going to say that we, we win this game. We should win this game. It should be a good bounce-back game for us. Um, but God help us if we don't win this game. Joe? Yeah, I, I just think this is a situation where the talent gap is going to be in our favor and we don't even have to play our best lacrosse to win this game. But it's like you said, if you if you don't show up, they, they could take it. And, you know, Hobart has played us tight and played us close and played us physically over the last few years. And it wouldn't shock me to see them take this game if we come out flat. But I just can't fathom how we would come out flat after yeah. the games we've played thus far this year, getting our butts handed to us by good teams. So this is a winnable game that if you have any hope of a any future for this for this team this year making an improvement this is where it starts this is your you know this is your first shot at at turning things around so i'm i'm kind of torn i have two differing schools of thought in my brain that are fighting with this lacrosse team right now i know i, I came out pretty optimistic as i tend to do i i'll, I'll own that i'm a, i always like to look on the positive side and come to the, the bright season a lot side better. of life I always like to have lots of hope when it comes to Syracuse, even though I'm let down time and time again. But on one hand, you know, you should be optimistic. A lot of the mistakes that we're complaining about, while inexcusable, are fixable and easily fixable. Mm -hmm. And our coach is the best men's lacrosse player of all time. So these are things, these are fundamentals that should be able to be improved in practice and could be drastic improvement in the short term. But I, I've had this other more insidious thought that's been lurking in the back of my brain for a number of weeks now, even before the season, of I wonder if things aren't going to turn around until there's a significant change in the roster. Because the pressure for these kids that have been with the program for this long, they were here when the team was good, and they were the ones who were the starters and the team was bad. And I just wonder what the pressure is like to have been the the bone, the, the backbone of the program during this time where they're bad really for like the first time ever, where they, I don't want to say bad, but very disappointing, very, very disappointing and not living up to the lore of Syracuse lacrosse. And I wonder if the pressure for some of these kids is just too much. And that's why you're seeing these little mistakes that don't really make sense. It's because they're playing so tight because the pressure of being responsible for the downfall of Syracuse lacrosse is too much to bear. I know it's a, it's generally a new coaching staff, it's a new head coach, new defensive coach, but to the same kids, and they're kids that are good lacrosse players that are making dumb mistakes and not playing fundamentally sound lacrosse. So a, a part of me is afraid that we're not going to see things turn around until we essentially have a, a new team with new, new blood coming into the program. It's an exceptional point. I just hope it's not true. You like that? Anything, Brett? Yeah, I think we're gonna win. I think Curry's gonna have a hat trick. All right. He better have a hat trick. <laughs> Him and like four of the guys better have hat tricks. 
<laughs> it's just the contrast from everything I was saying to what Brett comes in. Like, everything Brett's saying is very likely and logical. Brett's just going to be positive. <laughs> Brett's going to be positive throughout it's like, the process. Like, He's just going to give all positive. I just, I just poured out my heart and soul, and Brett just says, like, this is probably, I'm like, yeah, that probably is going to happen. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> but he so, may have, uh, probably hit a three-pointer. <laughs> well, on a positive note, the women's lacrosse team has picked up right where they left off. They are three, uh, four and oh, one. Oh crap! They lost the national championship game already. They they're four and one. They're ranked third in the country. They actually just suffered their first loss of the season in overtime to Northwestern. For those of you who are not, you know, don't know a lot about women's lacrosse, Northwestern is a you know historic powerhouse in that sport. So losing only by one to them. You know, is, is legit, 16-15. Uh, they've got three of their four wins are against ranked opponents. They beat Stanford 12-9. They beat fourth-ranked Stony Brook 12-11. They beat 17th-ranked Notre Dame for their only only conference game so far, 17-16. Uh, their other win is 23-6 over Binghamton. Uh, this team looks like they're going to just kind of – I mean, hopefully they keep it rolling, but, you know, this is a team that already – you think could be a good chance that we'll see them in May and, and, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe we see them again in the Memorial day weekend would be fantastic. And, uh, you know, for, for this women's program, uh, I know we talked about them a lot last spring. For those of you who weren't listening then, or, or who've forgotten, that has been the one elusive thing for the Syracuse women's lacrosse program. They've been excellent. They've been really solid, you know, from those Gary gate years throughout those. And now, you know, under new coaching staff. But that one thing that has been elusive for that program is they have not been able to get a national championship yet. They've been to a lot of Final Fours. They've been to national title games. They have not been able to quite finish it off. You just feel with this roster, you, you just could be so close to maybe finally doing it. We'll see. But uh, it's exciting to see how they're starting the season. Uh, also on the women's sports side, we got to mention the women's basketball team lost in the ACC tournament. To Clemson, 88-69, to they finished their season 11-17. and I know we didn't like the head coaching decision that they made. This should guarantee that we will see somebody new come into the program in the offseason. Perhaps uh, the, the former I hear there's a former assistant coach currently at Iona. Oh, Lord. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, there, there's always these questions about, right, the former Syracuse player. Uh, who's up at Buffalo, whose name I'm uh, is escaping me right now. But, you know, she expressed interest in this job last year. Would she be willing to take it this offseason? I don't know. We'll see. But I would imagine we will finally see the coaching change we should see in the women's basketball program, and hopefully they can begin building back up. One more thing on the women's sports. We're going to end on a high note on this, and that is the women's ice hockey team won the College Hockey America tournament. They won the regular season. They now won the tournament. And that uh, by with a three to two win over Mercyhurst, that guarantees them a spot in the NCAA tournament and uh, a chance to try to make their way to the Frozen Four, which is at Penn State this year. Uh, Penn State's hosting the women's Frozen Four. So, uh, good luck to them. Congratulations to the women's hockey team. Fantastic. You know they're they're one of the better teams on campus this year. They they've been real solid and and they won the regular season and the tournament conference title. So that's fantastic. Uh, does anybody have a rant? No. No. 
I'm just going to say that the baseball owners suck and leave it at that. It's the owners. It's only the owners. I do not blame the players here. The players have gotten raked over the coals for the past two CB collective bargaining agreements. They have offered to basically lie on the coals and let the owners walk over them again. But until the owners can just basically hang the union from... Go full on Mussolini. Hang him by his balls. I mean, basically. Basically. It's... it's Ah, that that's... That's all I'm going to say. And, that's and Rob Manfred sucks. And that's what grinds Brett's gears. Okay, look, if you enjoy this show, you should make sure to let us know by putting those stars wherever you're listening, being it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, whatever. Let people know about it. Follow us on Twitter at 3ILPod. Like us on Facebook, 3 Idiots and a Lawyer. If you've got questions for the mailbag, it's 3 Idiots Lawyer at gmail.com. If you've got the 1990 NCAA lacrosse trophy, let us know. We just want to know that it's safe. Until next time, for Brett Fortnum, Joe Shell, Colin Lerner, I'm Matt Pfeiffer. We'll see you next time.